0: Welcome to another episode of Secure the Job, Breaking into Security, where we give you the inside scoop on all you need to break into the cybersecurity industry. We're your hosts, Alana, Evan, and Stephanie, and we'll talk skills, jobs, and resources. Here's what we have for you this week.
1: Today we have Lauren Bujita, founder and CEO of Girl Security, an NGO focused on providing mentoring and resources to empower young women to envision a career in security. She's a trailblazer in the industry and has been named one of the most influential people in security by Security Magazine in 2022, and one of 50 women making the world a better place by InStyle Magazine in 2021. We are very excited to hear about her experiences and thoughts for the future women in the industry. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks for
2: having me. I'm excited to be with all of you.
1: So we like to start off by asking each guest what their pick of the week is. This is not security related and it really can be anything from what you're obsessed with right now, if you're reading anything interesting or a funny story, really anything goes.
2: I think this is a great question. It's fall, which means it's firewood season. And I found mm. this really clever wood splitting contraption that apparently a 16-year-old girl in Sweden developed. And it makes splitting wood so extremely easy to get kindling. And that is what I'm obsessed with this week. I did smash my finger with the... Oh, no. Yes, but but that was my fault. That wasn't the design of the, the element. So it's really cool. Check it out. Developed by a, a teenage girl.
0: That's incredible.
1: Wow. So you studied political science in college. How did that then go into a career of cybersecurity? What were your thoughts around that? How did you transition into this industry?
2: To be a a major that I just could not connect with personally. Even now, I struggle with theory, which, of course, political science is. Mm -hmm. So I was actually quite happy to land in the national security space and to be working more focused on problem solving in a domain like cyber, which there is some theory, of course, and theory continues to evolve around it, but I could much more practically focus on the problem set in a series of solutions that were very human centric. It was much more tangible to me than what I was studying in college and of course, international relations theory and all of those different types of frameworks. So how I landed in it was very haphazard. I just was hired by a national security think tank, actually one of the first in the country. And what we primarily focused on at the time was legal analysis. So looking at the national security law implications of different security challenges and cyber really was sort of just emerging in the national security discourse around what do we call this thing called cybersecurity? How do we develop laws and norms to govern what the United States might do in a cyber incident? And the conversation about pathways wasn't even even present at the time. So this was quite early on in my career. But I was absolutely ill prepared for it and just did a lot of learning on the job. It was baptism by fire, so to speak sounds like a similar experience.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that a lot.
2: Yeah. I think that's pretty normal. I think even if you've done, unless you've had the benefit of internships and things like that, it can be a challenge to learn
0: on the job. Wow. How have you seen cybersecurity change over the last 20 years that you've been in the industry?
2: It's a strange thing. It's sort of like a Benjamin Button, where I feel like we've sort of gone back from where we started. But I think my perspective as a 20-something was, I felt the urgency of what the cyber domain meant, because I was surrounded by lots of really experienced security practitioners who conveyed a sense of urgency around the need for the United States to have a cybersecurity strategy, for the need of the United States to have the technological capabilities to implement whatever that strategy might be. And so in a way, I think we've actually made pretty slow progress up until maybe recently. We've started to sort of, I think, put our foot on the gas of thinking more fully about what a cybersecurity strategy should look like for the United States. And I would say also in recent years, that has translated into what might a workforce in cybersecurity look like. And I find that to be one of the most fascinating conversations because all of us are sitting at essentially the front end of a field that will become one of the fastest growing and in demand. But I think we have a lot of work to do, at least on the workforce side. And I think broadly on the cybersecurity side, what I always point out to young people is, comparatively, Europe is advancing more quickly and I think more rigorous responses to cybersecurity. And I always encourage young people to do a comparative analysis of what other countries are doing in the cyberspace because I think it can be very helpful to understanding the field as well.
1: And why is there such a difference between Europe and what the U.S. is doing in regards to addressing this challenge? It's a great
2: question. I think part of it is just the constitution is that Mm. we have, you know, a certain set of values and legal norms that we must adhere to. We also have a different type of bureaucracy, I would say, in terms of how do we develop and implement those types of big decisions. And of course, law takes time, norms take time. So I think it's much the process of our democracy, of our bureaucracy, and of our care for rule of law. I think that's probably a big, a big core set of components as to why.
1: Yeah, and early in your career you were in some really important rooms. How did it feel being a woman in those rooms? Were there challenges? Did you feel empowered? What was the environment like?
2: I did not feel empowered (laughs) um, at all. I wouldn't say that I felt disempowered, but Mm -hmm. I always explained to people that I worked construction through college in Chicago. And I had always anticipated... That's a hard gig. Yeah, (laughs) it was a very hard gig. I was the only woman on every job, sadly, It was very physically strenuous and I encountered a lot of discrimination, but I expected it because of the nature of construction and I'd grown up in a construction family. And so it always surprised me putting on a suit and walking into a room in a professional setting and to feel that same sense of otherness, as well as experiencing different types of discrimination in the national security space. So for me, a big inspiration for the work that I do now was the fact that I wasn't seeing a lot of women or even a lot of diverse populations in the rooms that I was in. And the voices that I did hear and the women that I did see were often quite marginalized even within their respective roles. And so it was both disheartening, but also motivating as well.
1: No, yeah, we're saying that only 24% of cybersecurity jobs right now are held by women. And that's such a low amount compared to other industries. And so there's definitely a need for representation. And so through these experiences, how has this shaped the work that you're doing now with Girl Security? Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you're doing with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Girl Security is a youth-focused organization. We're working to transform the security sector, which is we believe the most powerful sector in the world, not just in the United States. And we provide mentoring, workforce training and professional advancement to girls, women and gender minorities, ages 14 through 26. But cybersecurity is such a a line through of our work because there really are few issues, if any, that aren't impacted by technology and by the different types of threats that arise from technology. I would say that organizationally, we take a slightly different approach to how we train and teach cybersecurity. Part of it is informed by STEM data around the amount of investment we've made in STEM and sort of the statistical outcomes around women's representation in STEM. So we take an identity-centered approach. Uh, So we don't lead with learning, we lead with the individual narratives of the young people we serve in our program. And we find that to be quite an effective gateway into cyber because it creates a sense of belonging first and then allows for space for learning as well.
1: Yeah, I think when you ask a seven-year-old what they wanna do, I don't think many girls would say cybersecurity and I think that's something that needs to be changed. And so could you talk to us a little bit more on why identity and representation is becoming so important in this industry?
2: Yeah, and I think you you've made an excellent point, which is cybersecurity just isn't on the menu for not even just most young people. I would argue most adults as well. And I think part of it is a challenge to when we think about jobs that have been professionalized, like law and medicine. They've taken hundreds mm-hmm. of years, and I think cyber is having a little bit of an identity crisis in the sense that. We feel the sense of urgency, and historically, when we felt that same sense of urgency, we've been able to mobilize people in response to wars or economic depressions or whatever the crisis might be of the time. We often discuss this in girl security, mm-hmm. is cybersecurity more of a trade where you can really activate people quickly or is it a profession that we want to sort of mire in expense and certifications that might take time and might actually deter a lot of young people from seeing the field as aspirational? And certainly in the communities that we work in, many of which are under-invested in, in those schools and in those homes— parents or caregivers are not encouraging their child to go into cybersecurity, they're still telling their child to go to law school or to go to become a doctor or even an architect, we hear often, which I always find to be quite interesting. So I think it's a balance of how are we positioning the field for the communities we're targeting and how do we make the pathway into the field more accessible And I think identity plays such a central role because if someone either doesn't see someone who looks like them in a field, they may not be as inclined to pursue it. But also, I think young people need to know that their stories matter in a space. Young people, or at least the young people we work with, they're emotional, they're passionate, they're committed to service, they want to share their ideals and opinions. And so I think creating that dedicated approach and putting identity first again, it's an important way to build trust with young people. And I think we've we've kind of tried to bypass that and try to just push the mission without remembering that all of these young people we're trying to attract are still humans who need to feel a sense of trust with whomever it is that they're communicating with.
1: We love that so much. I think that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to start this podcast. We know that there's such great talent and we just need to kind of help them and guide them to these amazing pathways. And so we love that your organization is really helping to drive that further. Well, thank you for what you're
3: doing. I was so surprised when I got into cybersecurity at at just like the, the small amount that I had known about it going in before. And then once I learned about it, I like how on earth is this not bigger? Like, how on earth is this not a priority for people going through? And it kind of blew my mind. And it's it's a little bit crazy.
1: And it took us after college as well to even really know about the industry, know the different types of roles. It really wasn't for the ACE program. I'm not really sure I would have had an opportunity to explore what that looks like and see the need for people like us.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's part of the challenge. You know, I've gone into hundreds of classrooms all over the country over the last several years. And if I ask what cybersecurity means, most young people, even if they have a computer science course, and many schools do not, I think the statistic is around 52% of high schools have computer science classes. Young people are not connecting simply their everyday reliance on cyber and digital critical infrastructure with the prospect of the many pathways that the field brings. And so again, it's not rocket science necessarily, but I find that just starting that conversation around How do I think about cybersecurity? What systems do I rely on that are vulnerable to different types of cybersecurity challenges? What would I do in the event of X? How would I prepare my family? Would I talk to my peers? I think localizing cybersecurity, which again, feels like a pretty laborious process, but I think it's necessary. Localizing cybersecurity within the individual, within the community is going to be our best measure, I think, of really activating a broader, broader
1: workforce. Yeah, because you see about these breaches on the news that happened to companies, but you never think that this could possibly happen to you.
2: Yes. And, you know, we're coming up to election season, disinformation, you know, you're getting all of the warnings about the rise of disinformation and the importance of TikTok as a platform and young people, I'm putting myself in the old people camp, but young people Mm -hmm. are coexisting in this digital domain where all of these different cyber-like threats are really, there's no boundary between you and a potential event. And without scaring young people, I think it can be something that's very motivating to self-educate about and then again to think about what pathways look like.
1: I love that you bring up TikTok because in one of our later episodes, we talk with an influencer on TikTok and she does really great work around bringing awareness to her audience about what to do if you were put in a position like that, how to protect your data And so love that you bring that up so listeners can look forward to that on a later episode.
2: I feel like I'm going to go and tell my 17-year-old niece that I'm going to be on a podcast that (laughs) that will also feature an influencer, and I think I'll be really cool. But I do think it is important also to think about the gendered components to all of this, right? You know, a lot of the cyber challenges that we're confronting have gendered and racist narratives that are weaponized. And so I do think, again, going back to that conversation around identity and trying to motivate young people is you can be part of the decision-making tables now, not 20 years from now, around how these threats specifically target certain populations and what types of technologies, what types of policies, what types of laws must we be thinking of implementing or developing that have equitable impacts? Because we've seen this before in security, where we see a threat domain. We generate fear and then we create responses that have very enduring impacts and outcomes. Again, oftentimes that hit communities that are underrepresented in the fields. And so I think, again, cyber is a space for us to learn from our lessons and bring young people to the table sooner, bring diverse perspectives to the table sooner. And I think the dividends that that can pay across the board are very exciting. It's very exciting to me.
3: So, Girl Security is an awesome org. And I know y'all help tons and tons of people each year. What are some of the skills that you focus on in giving advice to your mentees? And tell me a little bit more about that curriculum or what you're leaning most into with those mentees.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, as I said, I don't want to say that we're taking a non-traditional approach. I hope that we're taking a very forward-thinking, future-facing approach with what we're doing. And again, keeping that eye on that identity-centered work, we really lead our training with values and concepts that young people can connect with right out of the gate. So things like ethical decision-making, critical thinking, collaboration, conflict resolution, negotiation. We can talk to any young person in our program and even if they don't understand what the word ethics means, they understand having to make a hard decision informed by a set of values that a parent or caregiver has raised them with strategy young people make strategic decisions all of the time. You know, if you're deciding what summer job to take or which college you might be pursuing, all of that is strategy in action. And so part of what we try to do is just take these very forward-facing skills that we know the future workforce is going to need and embed them in really cool learning and content developed by women in national security. Um, And we have some of the top women in national security who develop all of our learning content on subject matter expertise as well. And then we couple that with professional skills because we know from young people in our program that there are big gaps in how they're being prepared for the workforce. And so we have a lot of really experienced, cool, accessible people on our team who can help young people interview for jobs, prepare resumes, LinkedIn profiles, understand the nuance of networking. So providing sort of real life employability opportunities is a really core component of what we do as well.
1: That is so important. I think as Evan, Ilana and I have entered our career, we see this gap of the things that they taught us in school versus what we're actually doing on the job. And I wish I would have learned some of these soft skills earlier on that would have definitely given me an advantage as I entered the workforce. And so I love this forward way of thinking when it comes to how you're teaching these young girls. It's really good.
2: Well, we all have collectively had terrible experiences (laughs) (laughs) that we bring to the table too. Failures and experiences where, again, had someone just been able to pull us aside and help us read the room or help us craft the right email or response to a certain incident, it would have softened navigating, I think, some hard points across the board for most women in security, I believe would say the same thing as well.
3: What do you think the hardest part is about running Girl Security and what do you think the biggest obstacle is that you encounter?
2: I think the hardest part really is running An organization that is focused on equity, DEI had its moment, and I think like most things, it still remains compartmentalized. It's sort of a side menu item. It's not necessarily yet been integrated, I think, into industry or government's mission, objectives, outcomes, metrics, And so I think part of the challenge is just driving that message that DEI isn't just about numbers. It's about innovating security solutions that we can't even possibly conceive of right now because we don't have the diversity in the room to yield those outcomes. And on a very local basis, when we see girls who come into our program, first generation immigrants of recently resettled refugees, first generation college students, young people of all identities, and they sit around a table, so to speak, and work through a security scenario, the outcomes are so remarkable and so fascinating. I balance the challenge of trying to drive that message with the promise of what I know will come if we stay committed to inclusion as innovation, not just inclusion to assimilate people into existing constructs.
0: If you had to give one piece of advice for someone who's looking to get into cybersecurity, who's young, who is exploring their options, maybe high school, maybe college, what do you think that would be?
2: I really think one of the most important pieces of advice is start by finding someone whose job, you know, if you there is someone you've seen or know whose job you admire, Just reach out to that person, send a well-crafted introductory email and ask for 15 minutes of their time. It will never hurt you to reach out to a professional, mostly because people love talking about themselves. That's number one. But also it can start the path of building a network of professionals who want to see you thrive. I think secondly, there are so many organizations out there providing different types of support in cybersecurity. Obviously, girl security being one of them. So if at least if someone's listening and they don't feel that they're the traditional cyber sort of archetype, then girl security is for you. But I would say find an organization that can be supportive. And I think relatedly is, whether it's at your school or in your community or another organization like Girl Security, talk to someone about the cost of planning your educational and career path and identify ways that you can cut or save costs in that path, because that will be one of the biggest impediments I think that a young person faces is being told that they have to expend a lot of money to do X, Y, or Z when in fact There are a lot of really great free resources out there for any young person. And I would say, lastly, be ready to pivot. Some of the best lessons I learned were from taking jobs totally outside of my scope of work. The most important work that I ever did was on racial segregation in Chicago, and it was totally outside of the security field, but it's also why I read books about I'm reading The Hidden Life of Trees right now that studies the science of how essentially trees care for each other. Step outside of what you're doing and knowing because there are lessons to be learned from other pathways, from other sectors, from other subject matter expertise that can give you a very unique and rounded understanding of cybersecurity and security more broadly.
1: That's another one of our messages that we really want to convey in this podcast is that Even if you're an industry veteran who was in the military before or maybe was working as a barista, there's experiences that you can bring to the industry. And there's opportunity for you to bring in a fresh perspective. And there's really a space for you here in cybersecurity.
2: I agree with you. This is something I've experienced. You have ideas of what leadership should look like in your professional role. You have almost suffocating expectations sometimes as a young person of what you think you should be doing or how you think you should sound or present yourself. And I would say most senior people are giving you probably more wiggle room than you might know. But also, again, what you will bring to the table will be wholly unique. And you never know if the one idea that you have or the one solution that you have or the one gap that you might identify whether it's in an event in a system how whatever the scenario is you never know that that might not be the missing piece to that puzzle so take a risk put your ideas out there because at some point you're going to hit the mark and that thing that you express will be the thing that people needed to hear and i've seen that so many times throughout my career
0: Yeah, no, I agree with absolutely everything you said. And I think what we've heard over our conversation is how much cybersecurity is changing constantly and how important it is to get involved. What excites you most about the future of cybersecurity?
2: Honestly, I'm sort of a broken record, but I think what excites me most, because I'm reading an essay that one of the young mentees in our program wrote about quantum computing, I'm sort of inherently not even excited about, but compelled by the tensions that continue to arise as a field like cybersecurity continues to evolve. What will those legal tensions look like? What will those policy tensions look like? What populations will be impacted? That's sort of where my eye always goes, I guess, in problem solving. I'm drawn to pain points. But again, when I look at how young people are anticipating that next wave in cyber, in tech, I feel excited again about what ideas, what solutions they might be able to engineer that will be wholly unique to your generation, to a younger generation, and will be an exciting educational experience for an older generation who has a lot to learn from those intergenerational interactions. I'm excited for that. I really am.
3: What do you think your biggest aha or learning moment has been in your career so far? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh geez, Evan. That's uh I gotta go back to when I didn't have gray hair. I think probably one of my biggest aha moments do you mean for personal, like personal development or like field specific specific? <laughs> oh geez, okay, why'd you say that? I think one of my personal aha moments is that you can be someone who has massive social anxiety and somehow lead an organization. That's always very reassuring to me, Uh, personally. I think from a field perspective, Girl Security's mission is really grounded in the belief that our security thinking is deprived of the benefit of disadvantaged and oftentimes adversely impacted communities. It was really the core of the organization's mission. It's what continues to drive us So I feel as though right now I'm observing this sort of breakdown and barriers in our federal policy discourse around cyber and related security pathways, recognizing that, hey, we cannot be secure as a nation if people at home don't feel secure in their homes or communities. So to see those boundaries dissolve at a point where we're sort of situated in this work is very reassuring to me that we're recognizing that a hundred years of security thinking has missed the mark in the sense that it's, again, not had the benefit of so many different populations in our country. So that is my aha moment. That is, again, very reassuring to me.
3: When I was working, doing some customer evidence work, you know, writing some customer stories, we found it was really, really difficult to get CISOs and security professionals to talk publicly about times when they had been attacked, Mm -hmm. Um, even though them talking about it would help other organizations and other institutions better protect themselves and better understand the threats. It's a very, very interesting, almost somewhat prideful industry in some regards.
2: It is. And I think to your point, even collaboration, right? The more we share The more information we share about our vulnerabilities, I mean, this is basic human psychology, the more trust we build in our relationships with others. And so I do think, at least from our perspective, much of our mission is guided by this belief that girls and women especially from childhood have never had the benefit of being secure, whether it's real or imagined. From a young age, we're told any number of things that we must do to be physically and emotionally secure, So we've never had the privilege of thinking that there's such thing as absolute security. And I think in cybersecurity and national security, we may have felt that that was a prospect of absolute security, but now we don't have the same borders and boundaries that we once had. And so I think it's even more important to be able to, as you noted, be open and transparent about vulnerabilities and to create collaborative learning environments and ecosystems to share intelligence, data, best practices. I'm hopeful for it because I almost think it will just bear out as a result of necessity. But again, that's a space where I see younger people bring a different set of skills to the table around openness, accountability, and collaboration as well. So go save the world. (laughs)
3: Lauren, is there anything that you're passionate about that we didn't get to talk about yet? Any subject that you think you want people to hear about that isn't getting publicized enough? I mean, aside from all of the amazing nuggets that we've covered, you know, is there anything like any like personal project you're working on or anything that, you know, you want to give a platform to be publicized?
2: I would say the one thing that we're really excited about working on is something that we're launching called the Workforce Futures Alliance, which is really going to be a dedicated space for industry leaders to be working alongside teens and young adults on developing intergenerational solutions to not just training the future workforce, but also, again, surfacing different responses to security challenges through this combined lens of people who have had a lot of experience with people who are coming to this space with fresh eyes. So that's something we're very excited about. And my personal project are my children. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's my extracurricular.
1: And how are you teaching them to be safe online? How are you incorporating some of those things? It is an everyday process. It really is. It becomes
2: as normalized as teaching your kids about basic stranger danger and automotive safety. My son is so cyber astute that I don't want to say that I've scared him offline, But he is extremely cognizant of practices and platforms seeking his information. He's very cognizant of his online identity. But again, this is something that I started when they were infants, and I would refuse to have images posted of them online at a school, on Facebook, or whatever it is. And I would have to answer to a lot of people as to why I wouldn't share those permissions. And so I think with my kids, they've been exposed to a conversation around cybersecurity from a very, very early age. That's not to say they're going to go on roadblocks and do something totally crazy, but at least they're grounded as to why mom thinks that this is really important.
1: Yeah, I have a younger brother and he's on all those platforms and you see a message, you click on it. You, If you're not aware of people wanting to get your information, you're naive and you go on and click a bunch of things you don't really realize there's repercussions to those actions. And so... I think the earlier, the better is the best way to go about it.
2: I think so too. And we see this in high schools all the time, young people sharing images and content that they, once it's shared, it has such trauma, the impact on their lives is so significant. And so I do think even starting with basic cybersecurity, safety, and digital awareness from as early as first grade, if not sooner, especially if you are a caregiver who posts online or uses social media platforms. I think starting that conversation sooner is is crucial.
3: Have you personally or your family, an extended family and whatnot, ever been a victim of a cyber incident?
2: My father clicked on a link and had his identity stolen, his bank account information stolen, and money from their bank accounts stolen. And it was a phishing email and he is very cyber unaware. And it was about a five-year process. And even now they have to continue to monitor every platform credit card system that he utilizes to make sure that it's the right person to correct his identity. So that was challenging for for them.
3: That sounds so hard. It's such an an increasing issue too. I mean, I've seen a lot of friends and family get either fished or some friends who own businesses, they've been held for ransom. And it's it's kind of crazy yeah. just in the past two years how much it's multiplied.
2: It is. And I think online bullying, I mean, that's something we hear and talk about all the time. Trolling and targeting, targeted online violence, those are just going to continue to be threats. And so again, I think starting that awareness raising and training sooner I think will be even more important to young people's mental health because it really oftentimes feels like this untethered domain where there's no rules of the road for that kind of targeted violence towards certain people.
0: Do you think there are any resources that you think are really great to provide for people who do want to learn, maybe outside of what their major in college is or specifically what they're studying?
2: I honestly think the best thing to do is to talk to people. You know, I go back to that now in my life because a lot of the same people who informally mentored me in my early career are many of the people on the board of our organization who are still touch points for me, trusted people. But I sort of tirelessly talked to different people about what their pathways were. I also audited classes in areas or jobs that I thought I might want to enter, and that was helpful. I think now there's a lot of opportunities for people to do sort of like micro internships or site visits, seeing the domain in which you might envision yourself and also talking to as many people as possible and asking them, inviting them to be candid is crucial because if you don't invite someone to give you the warts and all, so to speak, they may give you the bright pitch about a particular pathway. But if you ask them and invite them to share the good and the bad, you need to sort of understand what the bad is in order to decide if the good outweighs the bad. And I think that's usually what surprises a new professional into any field is a balance of not really understanding the highs and lows of a particular pathway.
1: Transparency is so important in all of this, especially as we are seeing burnout happen Mm -hmm. across several industries. And so if you're able to get ahead of that and know what you're getting yourself into, I think that's very, very helpful. Where can our listeners go to learn more about the amazing work you're doing with Girl Security?
2: Absolutely. Listeners can visit girlsecurity.org or follow us on social media at girlsecurity underscore. <laughs> because Girl Security was taken. So hopefully, I'm going to find that person someday and get the domain back to them. So, girlsecurity.org or at girlsecurity underscore on social media.
1: Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with
0: us today, Lauren. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me and thank you for all that you're doing. Thanks for listening to another episode of Secure the Job, Breaking into Security with your hosts, Alana, Stephanie,
3: and Evan. If you're interested in learning more about Microsoft's initiative to address the skills gap and for free resources, go to securethejobpodcast.com.
1: Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. See you next week.